Have you ever dreamed of becoming an interior designer? You don't want to go back to university, you don't want to work for a large firm, but you just don't know how to get started. You want flexibility, you want to pursue your passion, and you want to make income. Well, you should definitely check out the Uploft Interior Design Academy. It's my proprietary program that I've used internally for years and have made available to the public. Not only do you get video modules that you can take at your own pace, but you also get one-on-one coaching sessions with me, group coaching sessions with our Facebook group of Academy students, and so much more. If you're interested, Get more information and sign up for an exploratory call with me at affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. It's time to start living the life of your dreams. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Hellman. Hi, everybody. Happy June. This is Memorial Day weekend, and maybe you can hear behind me. I hope you can hear behind me that it is raining. I'm here in my storefront, and the rain is pouring down. We had so many activities planned this weekend. Well, actually, just one activity that was broken into many, many events. My son had a huge baseball tournament. He hired a private coach. Well, we hired a private coach, and he worked with the private coach. But he wanted the private coach so he could be really good at baseball, so he would really wow in this tournament. He's been spending so much time practicing and getting ready and being nervous, and it all got washed away. So all of our plans this weekend went down the drain quite literally with a huge four-day rainstorm. But for me... It's been a nice chance to just relax, and instead of going to game after game after game, it's been nice to cuddle on the couch and play board games and just regroup a little bit. And also, you know, of course, it's Memorial Day weekend, so I'm thinking about the reason that we have the long holiday and being so thankful for all the veterans, all the people whose lives were lost defending our freedom and you know, with all the different ways that our military has helped us throughout the decades and centuries. But also um, thinking about this sort of being the end of COVID. My favorite coffee shop just reopened so that people could go sit down in person. And it was really weird. I just had a cup of coffee at Muddy Waters in Terrytown and sat down inside. Something I used to do every weekend without giving it a second thought. And it felt, it felt like slipping into a warm bath, quite frankly. At first, the temperature is a bit of a shock, and you're like, how is this going to work? And then you drift right back into your old habits, and it's like you never left, and it feels like home, and it's so comforting. All this has been swirling around while over at work, we've been the busiest we've ever been which is very exciting. And if you guys are interior designers, I'm sure the phone is ringing off the hook for you as well. But we are deluged with bookings and things like that. So it's been a very exciting, overwhelming, strange time. 
Are you feeling the same way? Speaking of deluged, we used to be inundated with your questions and we have not been lately. Are you ready for this? I'm going to share something pretty shocking with you. The mailbag after today's episode and next week's episode will be empty. Empty, guys. If you have a question that you want answered, there's never been a better time to write me. You can head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. There's a button so that you can fill out a very quick form to submit your question to me. And chances are it will get answered a little bit sooner than you think. So don't hesitate, guys. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast and send me your questions. I can't wait to answer them. All right, without further ado, let me get to the questions that were lingering there at the bottom of our mailbag. Okay, looking over here, we have got a question from Allison. Allison writes from Canada, British Columbia to be exact. She says, hi, Betsy. I have a question about matching paneling to fixtures in the bathroom. We are building a house and are trying to create a traditional Victorian feel throughout. We will be doing white paneling halfway up the wall throughout the main living areas and the hallway using the color White Dove by Benjamin Moore. We would like to do the paneling in the main bathroom as well, but I heard that if you're doing a large amount of trim in the bathroom, you should match it with the fixtures. In this case, the toilet, the tub, and vanity will all be white, even if it's not the same white as the other spaces. This is so that it's pleasing to the eye in an especially small space and doesn't clash. Would you agree with this? Would white dove be too warm and clash with the bright white fixtures? Would you pick a different white just for the bathroom or forget the paneling altogether in this space? Your faithful listener, Allison. All right, Allison. So if you're having paneling throughout the living room, throughout the hallway, and then in the bathroom, I mean, that's just a lot. Are you sure you want to do that much paneling? Is it all going to look the same? You know, moldings and trims can sometimes really add a lot of personality to a space, make a space look very special and intentional and uh, unique. But when you do something that's supposed to make a space unique throughout, when you do too much of a special thing, sometimes it becomes less special. I think about this when I'm using unexpected shapes for furniture, like circles. Circles are quite a unique shape for furniture. Most furniture pieces are going to be some version of a rectangle or square. So whenever you get something that has curving lines, especially a perfect circle, you don't want to add too many of those because it will take away from the uniqueness of the circles that you do use. I'm wondering if that's going to be the case with this paneling. I'm wondering if too much of a good thing is really just going to be too much. That being said, I really never give any thought to matching the trim throughout the house with the bathroom fixtures. Of course, if you have like off-white toilets, off-white tubs, something like an almond cast, then I think it can be more problematic to do that stark white in a bathroom, whether it's tile or whether it's trim. But say you have a white tub, a white sink, which it sounds like you do, I wouldn't really hesitate to make the trim white, and I don't think it needs to be the same white. 
The thing that really starts to bug me is in the kitchen when you have white on white on white, when you have the white countertop, the white backsplash, the white cabinetry, because then all the whites are so close together, they're actually touching each other, and it becomes quite apparent that no one of the whites are truly white. What is pure white after all? Almost every white that you see has some kind of tone in it or reflection on it that makes it look less than pure. White is the absence of color. And because of reflections, because of context, almost no area where you see white is going to look only crisp white. It's all going to have some kind of cast. Just look deeply at your table versus a piece of paper versus your keyboard. My keyboard is white. My desk is white. And my paper is white, and they all have different kinds of casts. But trim in a bathroom isn't usually touching the toilet or touching the sink. And I'd rather just make it easy for myself and for my contractor and just buy that one tone of trim color that will go throughout the house. That would be my recommendation. It's what I've done in my own home, even though I have a white toilet, a white bathtub, and a white sink. And I've never even noticed if there's a problem. So I think you'll have bigger fish to fry. Also, one thing that I like to point out to people is sometimes when a space is empty or when a space doesn't have artwork, bath mats, hand towels, shower curtains, things that aren't really problems look like problems because there's nothing else there. In your case, I think you're sweating the small stuff. I don't think this is ultimately going to be a problem at all, and I don't think you'll ever notice once you get that soap dispenser in there, once you get those hand towels hung up on the towel bar, I think it's all going to be hunky-dory no matter which way you go. But don't overdo it on the paneling, Allison. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. All right, let's get to my next question. My next question comes from Sabrina. Sabrina is in Hastings, New York, not too far from me, the town right over. And she writes, hi, Betsy, as you know, we're moving into our dream house soon. I'm concerned with our entryway and what it's going to look like. I need to make it functional because my kids are used to apartment living. They dump their backpacks, their shoes, their clothes out in the hallway before coming inside. On the pictures, you can see 
We enter the house into a small atrium with a closet that's across the hall and next to the stairs. I can already see myself tripping over the piles of shoes and clothes that my kids are going to peel off as soon as they race through the door. I need entryway solutions for the shoes, the coats, the keys, the mail. How am I going to style that area? Our style is rustic modern, even though you say that's not a thing. Betsy, please help and keep doing what you're doing. You're helping so many of us who are lacking your talent. Oh, and shout out to Betsy's room design services. I had such fun designing my studio with her and I'm still adding the finishing touches. Betsy has given me the confidence to think I can do it, even though she had to say more than a few times, ooh, Sabrina, no. <laughs> That's true. Sabrina and I worked together, what was it now, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? She's moving into her dream house in Hastings. And I must say the the houses in this area the river towns, as they're called in New York, could not be more charming. It's like driving through a fairy tale. I've been looking at lots of other neighborhoods as I've been considering moving due to the extremely high property taxes. And um, you just can't find this level of historic home, unique charm, adorable neighborhoods, uh, mature trees, I mean, history just oozes around every corner and you can truly feel it. No one house is the same as the next. In fact, in our neighborhood, you'll find a Victorian next to a craftsman, next to a colonial, next to a mid-century modern. And it's just really inspiring. I've told you guys before, but my favorite time of year in this area is Halloween. Not because of the candy, not because of the adorable children coming to the door, but it's because I walk around with my kids and it is my chance to go up close and see inside these homes because we ring the doorbell, we wait for the person to come. And then while my kids are adorably begging for candy, I am looking over their heads into the house to see, oh my gosh, look at that light fixture. Oh goodness, look at how beautifully they've decorated their living room. Can you imagine if I had those moldings? Because my house is amongst all these super charming houses in this super charming area, but it is one of the more basic homes. It does have beautiful molding. It does have leaded glass. It does have some stained glass, but it's really a blank canvas on which I overlaid my personality and design style. And a lot of these homes have so much style that they're bringing to the table, which I love. Um, I compromise every day when working with my clients, including Sabrina. And I certainly um, imagined that I would have to compromise when I moved into my home. But really, other than the stained glass, I was able to do whatever I wanted. So sometimes I pine for homes that have just so much character that you have to bow down to it and surrender to the space. Um, anyway, welcome to the neighborhood, Sabrina. That was a long-winded way of saying welcome to the neighborhood. Now that you're here, I had such a fun time designing your studio space. It's going to be lovely. Its inspiration piece was this large tiger painting with this emerald or even forest green background. And the tiger had these really glowing yellow-green eyes. It was a very fun inspiration to be working with as we were pulling your room together. When we're talking about entryways, as is your question here, you want to first think not about aesthetics, but about practicality. 
How do you and your family enter the space? What are you bringing in? How can you give everyone a zone? In the entryway, I find it's very important to have some autonomy, some place where you can shove your stuff. Every member of the household is going to have a different level of fastidiousness. In my family, my two children are throw and go. My husband is throw and go. I'm a little bit throw and go, but we all need to just have our cubby. We need to have a place that we can dump and run. And my husband and I have gotten quite good, surprisingly, at hanging up our coats. So I find that we need two different entry moments. We need a shoe cabinet that has open shelving where we can shove our shoes. On top of that, we have a tray where we dump the mail. And then on the other side, because we don't have a closet, we got a freestanding armoire from Ikea. It has cubbies on one side and doors on the other. Behind the doors, we hang our coats. And then each member of the household has a cubby where they shove their stuff. That's how it looks at our house. And it's a little bit exposed because the shoe shelves are open, the cubbies are open, but it's truly what works best for us. And that's how I can get the job done. If I had doors behind everything, well, it's tempting, but I don't think that my family would actually use the spaces if we had a lot of doors because we are so throw and go. Now, certainly you can create habits, especially it's the perfect time to create a new habit when you're moving into a new space because there's no rules yet. Nobody's gotten into some sort of pattern in this home. So it's important, I feel, from the get-go to create an initial plan of action. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Over time, it may need to evolve. We didn't always have an armoire. We used to have hooks. And the hooks just got too filled. And no matter how I tried to call it every season, people were still just being out of control. So I had to get an armoire because I just can't be looking at piles and piles of coats on hooks. So I think that you'll find that it's a bit of an evolution as well. And I don't want you to get too set on any one solution before you've lived there, but I also don't want it to be the wild, wild west as you move in. You sent in a picture, so I just want to peek at it now. You know, the closet is small and there's not much room in this area. You know, um, so I think it would be critical when there's just a few small spaces to take advantage of that you not try and create too many little areas because, again, that's sort of the curse of the medium furniture. One solution holds some of the items, but not all the items, so you have to create another solution. And it holds some of the things, but not all the things, so then you add another thing. So looking at these pictures... I would definitely take full advantage of that closet. You need to maximize it any way that you can, and you need to make sure that there's a system that everyone can understand so that when they walk in, they actually use the system. Then you do have this small little corner wall, uh, and that seems like it might be a good place to put some shoe cubbies or even a tall cabinet with some cubbies. You know, maybe even like Ikea had that they used to call it the expedite that had the squares. That could be interesting for this area, a tall vertical piece where everyone could sort of have their own square, whether it has a door or not. But above the radiator, 
across from that sort of opportunity for squares, I wouldn't put anything besides maybe a piece of art because we don't want to put small solutions everywhere, as I mentioned. It's just going to add to the visual clutter and the visual and physical confusion as you walk in. I have to stop not only at the closet, but also at my cubbies, and then I have to put XYZ above the radiator. I just think it's too much going on. And I think for entryway, simpler is better when you're trying to get all the family on one organizational page. Sabrina, it was so good working with you. Welcome to the River Towns. I hope that when I'm out trick-or-treating, I get to peek in your doorway and see what your entry solution is. Oh, and by the way, feel free to come to my side of the River Towns and knock on my door as you're trick-or-treating. We not only give out great candy because my husband loves candy, but also, uh, you know, we leave the door wide open on Halloween so you can see right in. All right, let me get to my last question for today's episode. Let's see here. I've got this new way that I'm organizing the uh, questions, and it's a little bit easier said than done here. Yeah, because now that you guys are filling out the form on my website, it makes it super convenient, but I have to learn a new way of answering you guys. My next question comes from B. B is writing in from Houston, Texas. She writes, I've been listening to your podcast all yesterday. I have tile questions. I already have large format tile picked out for all the walls of the shower and tub area of our master bathroom, but that's about it. I'm stumped as how to finish off the rest of the master bathroom, given that this tile is rather busy in some ways, and my overall interior design aesthetic is more toned down. I'm attaching pictures to illustrate what I mean. We want to avoid as many grout lines as we can, so I had the idea to chunk the idea to chuck, excuse me, chuck the idea of using cute subway tiles in the bathroom, even if it does give it a more timeless element to those rooms. What color type of porcelain tile should be used in the shower floor area so that it's slip free? And what type of porcelain tile should I use around the rest of the master bathroom floors and bottom third or bottom half of the walls on the vanity side and this toilet area, which is right across from the shower tub area? We want to tile the bottom third or bottom half of the bathroom walls to be prepared for water link incidents. We do have three boys. Lastly, could you please suggest some things that I could do for bathroom number two, the kids' bathroom, that would still tie in with the rest of the house? I know my aesthetics do not follow the 60-30-10 rule exactly. It's mostly neutral colors, but I'm trying to put in more safer color options for the main elements and plan on introducing pops of color throughout with accent pieces and decor. Thanks in advance. Well, you know, B, I totally agree with that philosophy. Really, when I'm creating a renovation, I do not think about 60, 30, 10 in terms of those critical core pieces, be they a vanity cabinet, the tile, the flooring, the paint color. I usually go pretty neutral with that. And the reason is because, you know, I do want that to be relatively timeless. Anything you do in 10 to 15 years is going to look dated most likely. But I think you could get over or be sort of finished with color before then. So I really like to give a neutral backdrop and do exactly what you said. Add my 60-30-10 colors through, you know, shower curtains, bath mats, towels, artwork, etc. I think you're right in the right spot in terms of your mentality with that. Now let's look at these pictures. 
So, you know, it's really hard to be giving you renovation advice on a podcast because, as I mentioned, this is stuff that you're going to have around for 10 to 15 years. I don't want you making any mistakes that you'll regret. And I also think that renovation selections need to be cohesive throughout the home. Cohesive does not mean redundant. In other words, it doesn't mean using the same exact pieces over and over again. Rather, it means making choices that all look like they came from the same era, that all look like they belong in the same place, that all have some sort of through line, whether it's the two-word phrase that you've heard me speak about, which is one style word and one feeling word, or whether it's just kind of coordinating with the general era of the home, perhaps. These are things to be thinking of. Also, I wouldn't really worry that much about grout lines. I understand for cleaning, grout can be not as easy to clean as tile, but you want to be picking the right tiles. You don't want to just pick big tile everywhere so you don't have that much grout. One thing that I do like to keep in mind with grout, however, is that I really hate white grout in the bathroom. Because it's so hard to clean, especially somebody renovated my house right before we moved in just for resale. So they did not do it thoughtfully. They just tried to pick something that would appeal to everyone and do it as cheaply as possible. When they did that, they picked a small white hexagonal tile for the floor and they did white grout. And I will tell you that white grout looked clean for about a month. And then it didn't look clean anymore, and it still doesn't. And you can see our traffic pattern where we walk. You can see, because I also have boys, two boys, a husband and a son. You can see that around the toilet, it's no longer white. I'll let you use your own imagination there. No matter how much I scrub, no matter how much bleach I use, it really bugs me. So I highly recommend not going for white grout, but gray, something like that. On a shower floor, I do typically choose a smaller tile. And yes, I know that means it has more grout, but it also helps to make it an anti-slip surface. It also helps when you're grading the shower floor because generally shower floors are at a small incline so that the water can drain more efficiently. These are all things to think about and it's why people generally do small tile on shower floors. Looking at bathroom two, you know, again, these are things that you want to think of very carefully that you don't want to be just choosing because somebody in five minutes on a podcast told you that that might be a good idea. This really needs to coordinate with the style and flow of your home. I really like the inspiration picture that you chose with the gray vanity cabinet and the brass hardware. But I will tell you, brass hardware does not work for every space. And brass hardware may not be as timeless as we would like. You know, as we can think about even 10 years ago, if you walked into a home with brass hardware, it looked extremely dated. It looked like it came from the 70s, the 80s, and did not look fresh and hip. Brass has definitely made a comeback right now, but I'm very concerned. Five, 10 years from now, it's going to look dated again. Now, one way to prevent brass hardware from looking dated is to instead do a two-tone finish. So instead of doing strictly brass, the other metal finish that goes well with brass is a black metal, wrought iron, something like that. 
So pick one element in the bathroom that will be two-toned. The light fixture would be a perfect opportunity or even the mirror to have a two-toned metal finish. And then make maybe all the faucets one tone and maybe the sconces or the shower curtain rod a different tone. These are things to think about that will help the metal finishes in the architectural options that you choose to be somewhat more timeless. But in terms of tile, you do want to think about this in a more critical and thoughtful way. So guys, when you are making renovation selections, there's lots of things to think about. And one main thing that I think about is how long am I going to be in this house? If you're only going to be there for three to seven years, three to 10 years, definitely be thinking resale value. Talk to a real estate agent about what people are looking for. Find out what is going to appeal to others so that you don't make something so specific to your tastes that it won't appeal to people who are buying. As I mentioned before, if you're planning on selling after 10 years, anything you will have done will be dated. So go ahead and make your own dreams come true, knowing that it's not going to appeal to anyone because it's going to look less than fresh. All right, B. Well, I sure wish I could help you a little bit more, but like I said, these are decisions that have to be thought of very carefully together. And also, I would never, ever, ever choose tile online. It's something that you need to go touch and feel in person. Once you've done that, if you get the code and you go find something very similar online, okay, I would still order a sample. There's too much time, money, and energy on the line with renovations, too much life disruption to do any of it cheaply. Don't cut corners, think about it deeply, and good luck. Everybody, it has been so great talking to you. I missed you. As you guys may have noticed, uh, May was a little bit of a light month for me in terms of podcasting, and it's just because we've been so busy over here doing all the things. I hope that you guys get a chance to enjoy your holiday weekend, and I'm so glad to be back with you for this unofficial kickoff of summer. Design questions? Don't hesitate to send them my way at affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. Until next time, bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A 
big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.